For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. Good morning, everyone. Uh, For new folks, I'm uh, Taigen Layton, the guiding Dharma teacher at Ancient Dragon Zen Gate. You're all welcome. Uh, Today, I'm going to speak about Unkei and and also some of his sons. And um, has anybody here heard of Unkei? I don't see any hands up. Um, How many people have heard of Michelangelo? Yeah, a lot of hands. Okay. Well, Unkei is known and rightfully known as the Japanese Michelangelo. He was a sculptor of Buddhist images, uh, died in 1223, um, the same year that Dogen uh, um, left to go to China as a young monk. Um, So he was uh, contemporary but older, overlapping with Dogen. Um, He was a carver of Buddhist statues and images and uh, from a guild of, of uh, Buddhist sculptures, sculptors in Japan. Um, and um, his best known statue was, um, or his first known statue, not best, but first known statue, which I don't have a picture of today, is uh, from 1175. And that's a Vairochana or Dharmakaya uh, Buddha, which was... Uh, important in the Flower Ornament Sutra, the main Buddha there, and also in esoteric or Vajrayana uh, Buddhism, which was important in Japan. Um, in 1180, uh, starting from 1180 to 1185, uh, there was this, uh, a huge civil war in Japan. Uh, uh, the uh, war between the Minamoto family and the uh, um, Taira family. Uh, it went from 1180 to 1185. Um, in 1180, two major... So uh, um, Unkei was associated with a Nara group of uh, sculptors. Um, so Nara was the ancient capital up to 800, and Kyoto was the capital from 800. Um, and there will not be a test, so don't worry about remembering all this. But just to give you context, um, so um, during this, in 1180, during the Civil War, the huge temples of Kofukuji and Todaiji in Nara were burned down. And this was not a civil war over, uh, you know, between Buddhist schools or Buddhist uh, doctrine, but between uh, noble families uh, and uh, actually between uh, samurai families uh, and um, uh, but connected with the nobility. Um, but a lot of this, a lot of the major temples had had associations with these families. So that was 
what, why Kofkut and Todaiji, both of which I'm going to talk about more, were burned down. But when this happened, uh, the sculptors in Nara and in Kyoto, uh, and there were temples burned down in Kyoto too during the Civil War, um, um, had an opportunity there, there to, to, when these temples were being rebuilt, to uh, produce new Buddha images, new Buddha sculptures, as well as uh, craftsmen who built new te- new uh, temples. Um, and uh, so um, these 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 images are important. Uh, so Onke so was from a the Nara sculpt- sculpture lineage. His father Koke had been an important sculptor before him, but Onke uh, particularly, I want to talk about and. Uh, for most of the population in Japan then, and for many countries still, uh, the or ba- at that time, there, there the nobles and some of the samurai were literate and could read Buddhist texts and, and scriptures. But for most people, for the general populace, their understanding of Buddhist Buddhism and Dharma came from seeing these images of Buddhas and Bodhisattvas and protectors, as well as the wonderful temples there. So, um, uh, uh, young Onke, young Onke visited and sculpted in Kamakura. The new capital was moved to Kamakura by the winning side in this war. This war is the uh, Hikke Monogatari is a uh, narrative, very famous in Japan, the tale of Heike, uh, about this this civil this important civil war. It's it's con- compared as the Japanese Iliad. It's a very moving, long, uh, long work. But anyway, this, the capital was set up in Kamakura in 1185, and from 1185 to uh, oh I don't know the 1330s, that's called the Kamakura period because of that, uh, and um, it was an important time in Japan. There was there was a lot of change and upheaval, um, so we're familiar with that here. Uh, and the major current Buddhist schools uh, in Japan uh, came about then. So the Zen school, Rinzai and Soto, uh, the uh, Tendai school based on the Chinese Tiantai, the um, uh, Nichiren school based on the Lotus Sutra, all came about during this this uh, volatile period. Onke was at the beginning of it, and uh, his sculptors um, uh, were important. Uh, many of them have not survived, but I want to show you just a few that have. So, uh, David, you could put up the first uh, image. We're going to have some images of these. Um, so, uh, can you all see this? Yeah, this is, uh, no, the first one, David. Uh, yeah. Thank you. That's Jizo Bodhisattva. So uh, I, I t- uh, talk about him and some of the others in the uh, uh, my book, Faces of Compassion, about the Bodhisattva archetypal figures. Jizo was uh, is the Bodhisattva. His name means Earth Womb or Earth Matrix. So he was very much the, the Bodhisattva of common people and. Um, particular, particularly in all the realms, including in the hell realms. So he is particularly uh, uh, the bodhisattva who goes into the hell realms to help beings there. He's also considered a guardian of children and of women, 
and of uh, uh, people who've passed away and are waiting to be reborn. So he's very important bodhisattva, very, very popular in China and Japan. Kshitagarbha in Sanskrit to Zong in Chinese, again, there won't be a test. But this was uh, a sculpture by Unkei. And it's at a temple called Rokuhara Mitsuji in Kyoto. Uh, Rokuhara Mitsuji in, in Sino-Japanese means the sixth paramita temple. So it's the par- temple of the six transcendent practices that I've talked about. Uh, so um, this is a sculpture, by, well, one of my fam- favorite Japanese Buddhist sculptures by Unkei. Uh, and I have a particular relationship to it. Uh, well, it's just to say, Rokuhara Mitsuji, that temple where this statue now is, uh, is um, a little bit south of Keninji, walking distance from Keninji, which is where Dogen, the uh, founder of Soto Zen, practiced just before and just after he uh, went to Japan, went to China to study and brought back Soto Zen. Um, so uh, this statue, um, I, I feel um, somehow it, I feel a sense of breath from the statue, a sense of presence. The, ro- the, the, the robes are particularly vivid, but just his calm presence. I, uh, when I was living at Tassahara one time, I spent a, maybe about a week uh, looking at this image which I had in my cabin and then in the Zendo during Zazen, visualizing it. So I feel like I learned to breathe from this statue by Oenke. Um, uh, I, I should mention that I, I mentioned that um, Rokuhara Matsuji was near where Dogen practiced at Keninji just before and after he went to uh, China the Rokuhara Matsuji, Six Paramita Temple, where this Jizo is, is also where Dogen gave his talk, Zenki, Total Dynamic Activity. I think maybe one of his other talks he gave there. So it's, it's a fairly small temple now. It was much larger back then. So um, anyway, I, I really continue to appreciate this this. This statue. By the way, he's uh, Jizo is holding in his left hand a wish fulfilling gem just to grant the wishes of whomever he meets. And in his right hand, there used to be a staff. So most Jizos have a, a teaching staff or a monk staff. Um, so uh, anyway, this is uh, one of the, sta- the statues by Unke. Can you go to the next uh, image, David, please? This is a self portrait of Unke. Very unusual to have a statue of a, a Buddhist sculptor. There were self there were portrait statues before this in the earlier period, but uh, usually of very prominent monks. As you can see, Onke uh, is holding some beads. Uh, he's he has a shaved head and is, is dressed like a monk. So the, these um, uh, this is also at the Rakohara Matsuji, and his hands are particularly, you know, I get the sense of his strength and uh, his large hands. Um, he was not a monk in the official sense, but as I was saying, there are, were guilds of craftspeople, craftsmen, um, 
associated with all these temples or, or associated with, with whole cities and, and uh, making uh, uh, statues or gardens or temple buildings for many different temples. Uh, but this is uh, this is okay. This statue probably was fi- was finished by one of his disciples after his death. Um, but it gives a sense of this man, Unke, this great great sculptor of Buddhist and Buddha images. Um, uh, David, could you go to the next image, please? This is in, uh, not in Rokohara Matsuji, but in the temple called Kofkuji in Nara, which is, was the southern capital. It's a short train ride south of Kyoto now. Um, uh, I did many day trips to, uh, to Nara to look at these statues and old temples when I was living in Kyoto. Um, this is Sesu, Sesh, Sesh, is his name in Japanese, Seshin, excuse me. But this is Vasubandhu. Some of you know him as a uh, teacher of Abhidharma early on, but he became converted to um, the Yogacara school, in Japanese it's called the Hoso school, by his brother. Uh, could you go to the next image, please? So this is um, Mujaku is the name in Japanese, but this is Asanga. So Asanga and Vasubandhu were two great Indian um, uh, scholars and, and monks. Uh, and they are particularly associated with the Hoso or Yogacara school, which is one of the two main uh, branches of Mahayana Buddhism coming from India, along with the Madhyamaka. Uh, so uh, these two statues are both by Onke. And one gets a, 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 quite a sense of these great Indian masters as people from these statues. Uh, so for, could you go back a second, uh, David, to, to uh, Vasubandhu? Yeah, so they're both the same height. You can't tell from these these uh, images, but they're, uh, oh, 12 or 15 feet feet high. They're large. They're in a, uh, one of the buildings at Kofguji. Um, and um, the Kara school is associated with a study of consciousness. So it developed a whole study of different aspects of consciousness and uh, how consciousness works. And it's uh, an important background for Zen um, and many other schools. So um, you can go back to Asanga, uh, David. Thank you so much. Um, so um, these two brothers, they were brothers, were are both... Um, both f- famous uh, as founders, as patriarchs of the uh, of this uh, Yogacara school, which was that came into Japan and was and Kofukuji, this temple where they're at, is the center of that. Um, and the Yogacara school is also very much um, connected to Maitreya Buddha. If you could go to the next slide, David, next image, David. This is also carved by Unke, also at Kofukuji. This is of an image of Maitreya when he becomes the Buddha. So Maitreya Miroku in Japanese is the bodhisattva who is predicted to become the next Buddha. 
And he was important in the Yogacara school. There's a, a story, uh, if you, maybe I can tell it later, about a Sangha's practice with Maitreya. Um, very colorful story. But uh, uh, people in those times um, venerated Maitreya, were devoted to Maitreya. And this is the image of him uh, at, when he becomes a Buddha in the future. And there are various... Uh, devas, goddesses who are on the halo behind him. You can't really see; you can only see a couple of them. But again, this is one. This is a, an amazing statue by Unke. Uh, just as a contrast, Maitreya sometimes is shown as a Buddha like this, sometimes as a Bodhisattva. So, David, could you show the next image, please? This is a much earlier statue. Um, from the Koryuji Temple in Kyoto. This is probably the most famous Buddhist statue in Japan. And this is Maitreya Iroku in Japanese before he became the Buddha, as he is now, sitting in one of the meditation heavens. And he's kind of pensively thinking, contemplating uh, how to save all beings. And as part of this, he studied the consciousness the different aspects of consciousness of suffering beings. And this is why he's connected to the Osawa Yogacara school. This is not, this is a much earlier statue, probably from the 600s, one of the earlier Buddha statues in Kyoto and uh, and, and uh, probably carved by a, a Korean craftsman. Uh, Korean craftspeople came over to Japan early on and for a while. So, but this, this gives you the other side of Maitreya. Sometimes as image, sometimes with images as a Buddha, sometimes as a bodhisattva like this, uh, contemplating the suffering of sentient beings, considering how to become a Buddha and how to save all sentient beings. And uh, there's a statue nearby, this statue in Koryuji, a wonderful old temple in Kyoto. Uh, I think it's Shingon School. Anyway, there's a statue nearby called Weeping Maitreya. I don't have a picture of it, but he's in the same pose, but he's kind of leaning over and it looks like he's weeping for the suffering of beings. So, um, Kofkuji, where, um, if you could go back, David, to the Maitreya, uh, Kofkuji, the temple in Nara, the old capital, which was capital like in the 700s, uh, a little earlier of Japan, um, it has wonderful, wonderful temples. Uh, but I, I wanted to say a little bit about Kofukuji, particularly this Yogacara temple. Um, when I, I, I had the opportunity to spend a few months going around to temples in Kyoto and Nara when I was 20, uh, looking at, I hadn't intended that, that wasn't the reason for uh, my being there. I just uh, went down to Kyoto and ended up spending three months going around to um, to Buddhist temples after the first time I dropped out of school, <laughs> um, but was just blown away by these temple by these statues. And uh, a story about Kofukuji. Um, uh, the first time I went to Kofukuji, it's, it's an amazing place. There's all these statues and many, many more statues than I've shown here. Uh, but you get a little taste of them, uh, not just from the Kamakura period, but from the earlier period. There's a statue of Malakirti. There are uh, statues of protectors and demons. I'll show you one of those in a little bit. 
but there's also a deer herd wandering around. And there are, there's a, a wonderful pagoda, um, very tall pagoda. So I, uh, some of you may have, I know some, you know some people from Asanga have gone to Kyoto and Nara and looked at some of these things. Um, anyway, uh, the story is that um, when I um, first went to Kofukuji and, and was just blown away by these statues. I mean, I just like I had never, didn't know about them and never seen anything like them. And, and there's many, many more that are there. Um, uh, and then I wandered over to another uh, building where there was a, uh, it's called Fuku Kenjaku Kanon. Um, and I don't have an image, the image of it, but this is a statue, the, a build, an octagonal building with with only one image, with only one statue in it, and that's Kanon, the Bodhisattva of Compassion, who we'll see more later. Um, and I looked at it, and it was very, very, you know, another fine statue. Um, and I turned away, and when I looked back, there was an old woman standing in front of this building and looking up at this Kanon, and she bowed in gusho like Hogetsu talked about last week. And suddenly, I realized that this was not just a museum of sculpture or statues. And uh, I, uh, I feel like that's when I saw that old woman bowing to the Kanon at Kofuguji was when I first became a Buddhist. Uh, some people have asked me that question. I don't know if Eve is on the... is. Uh, here with us uh, today, but she asked me there. So I've, I have various, I could give various answers to that. But um, uh, one, one answer of how I became a Buddhist was just seeing this old woman um, bowing to this statue of Kanon at Kofukuji. So Kofukuji, there are other amazing temples in Nara. There's one that's very close to Kofukuji called Todaiji. Uh, could you go to the next image? Actually, the image after next, David, please. Here, uh, this is this is from Todaiji. Todaiji is the largest wooden building in the world, and inside it is a is the largest bronze statue in the world, which is a statue of the Dharmakaya Buddha Virochana. Um and um, that. Build, that building and statue were also destroyed in the civil wars. They rebuilt them later. So they're still not the largest wooden building and the largest bronze statue. The The ear of the, that Buddha is eight feet long, to give you an idea. It's huge, uh, but a beautiful statue. But uh, they've been rebuilt and they're still the largest, but the, the original ones were larger. <laughs> so anyway, this is a statue at Tofukuji. Um, there are two statues on either side of the gate uh, of this guardian figure. Um, and this is common at, at temples in, in Japan that there are guardians at the gate. One of them has the mouth open like this. The other one has their mouth closed in a very fierce posture. So uh, these statues were made by, by Unkei and Kaike, who was uh, a fellow apprentice with Unkei of Unkei's father. So he was also a famous sculptor in this period. And we don't know which of these statues was made by Unkei and which by Kaike, but they're quite imposing and impressive as an entryway to, to, to Todaiji, which is Todaiji is a Kegon school temple uh, devoted to the 
Y-N or through the Avatamsaka Sutra that some of us are reading every month. Uh, this statue is about 25 feet tall. So it's huge. It's very imposing. And you can see it's very realistic and muscular and, you know, very vivid. And uh, so this or the, or the one next to it on the other side of the gate where it was carved by Unke. Um, and you can see the influence of the samurai culture that was coming, that was becoming dominant then. Uh, so uh, these statues, particularly in this Kamakura period, uh, because of the capital being in Kamakura and the shogun or samurai rulers uh, influence, uh, we have statues like this. So um, I, I next want to talk about and show some statues by Unke's sons. So as I was saying, there's a, there, was a, there were guilds of these craftspeople, sculptors, uh, later gardens, Zen rock garden makers, um, of course, te- course, temple architects uh, and designers and, and carpenters who uh, uh, Paul Disco studied with, a uh, modern version of. Um, so Wenke uh, had six sons, all of whom were sculptors. Only three of them, the only, only works from only three of them survived. David, could you go to the next image, please? This is another one of my uh, favorite Japanese Buddhist sculptures. Uh, I don't know if you can make it any larger, David. If not, that's okay. But this was carved by Koben, who was Unke's third son. Uh, No, uh, not, um, yeah, just, that's okay. Just stay with that. Uh, He has a, a, a dragon whirling around him. And this is a common demon figure. So often these kind of demons with these kind of faces uh, are shown under the feet of protector guardians, protector kings. But this one has been converted. And there's another one that, that Coben made that's a pair with this, um, that they're holding up lanterns to protect, to, to illuminate the Dharma. So this is a, a protector demon uh, holding up a dragon lantern. And he's, you know, you, it's hard to tell in this image, but this is the dragon's head. And uh, so he's just there, <laughs> this dragon around him, holding up this lantern uh, to illuminate the Dharma. Uh, very powerful sculpture. And you can see his, his uh, kind of partly hoof-like feet. Um, they're called, these demons are called oni in Japan. And um, they're, there's uh, at many of the temples there, if you, when you step in, there's a kind of, uh, wooden um, uh, plank upright that so you have to step over to enter into the temple and that's to keep the onis out to keep out the demons because they're small and they can't get over that <laughs> but some of them have been converted like this one uh, the next image David um, yeah this is by another one of one case sons uh, uh, Kosho was his name um, um, and he's uh, uh, for the fourth son of Unke of the six um, and this is back in Rokuhara Matsuji where we saw the image of Jizo and the image of the self-portrait statue of Unke and this is an interesting story this is, this is a, a portrait of a monk from the Heian period from uh, I think the 10 hundreds um, 
and his name was Kuya. And this monk, it's maybe hard to see here, but he has a gong here and a striker here and a deer antler staff. And he would walk around the streets of Kyoto chanting Namo Amida Butsu. So that's the, uh, the Buddha of the Pure Land schools. So even before the Pure Land school was founded in the Kamakura period, one by Honen and then by Shinran, the Jodo Shinshu school, uh, there, were, there was devotion to, uh, a lot of devotion to Amida Buddha. Uh, and I, I should have mentioned Maitreya uh, earlier on was um, um, maybe more of a, uh, an object of devotion for uh, Buddhists in Asia uh, before Amida became more popular, but going back into, uh, well, the time when the early Maitreya I showed, the Korean Maitreya Bodhisattva, that was one of the main Buddhas that was uh, that people were devoted to. But but many Buddhas and Bodhisattvas were uh, part of the devotion of of um, Buddhism. So this Kuya again was an historical monk. Um, oh, Kuya lived nine hundred three to nine seventy two. So there was no Pure Land school as such back then. Before the Kamakura period, the two main schools were the Tendai school, which was up on the Mount Hiei in the northeast of Kyoto, and Dogen and all his disciples. And actually all the Kamakura founders were disciples of Tendai Buddhism, Uh, Honen and Shinran for Pure Land, and uh, Nichiren for the uh, Nichiren uh, Lotus Sutra school. Uh, But... um, there were people like Kuya who, who were devoted to Amida Buddha. So um, this, again, this is a statue at the Rokohara Matsuji Temple by Onke Sun Koben. Could you go to the next image, please, David? Yeah, so uh, coming out of his mouth, he's chanting, Namo Amida Butsu, Namo Amida Butsu, Namo Amida Butsu, Namo Amida Butsu. These are, these are Buddhas that are, appear because he is chanting them. So this, was, this is a very interesting statue, a cool way of showing his chanting of actually depicting these Amida Buddhas that Kuya was chanting. Um, so he wasn't part of the Pure Land School. He was probably a Tendai monk, but um, he just, he liked Amida Buddha. And so he uh, popularized Amida Buddha before the, uh, before the Pure Land Schools in the 900s. Um, and he was the the uh, founder of Rokohara Matsuji, the temple I've, I've talked about where that Onke statue is and the self-portrait statue of, of Onke is. But this was a statue carved by Onke's son. Um, there's only a few other pieces uh, by this sculptor Kosho that survive, including a, a, a very peaceful Amida Buddha. Um, so... Um, there's a kind of way in which these statues are very vivid and moving. Uh, can you go back one to see, David, to see uh, Kuya, the full, full body image? Yeah. So again, this is his barefoot, or maybe he's got straw sandals on. That's probably it. And uh, this was an image of him walking around uh, uh, Kyoto, uh, chanting Amida. Buddha and hitting his gong and, and dancing with that. So um, a few more pictures by other sons of um, 
1K, if you could go to the image after this. So, Unke's eldest son is named Tanke. And I think some people in our Sangha have gone to the Sanju Sangendo, which literally means 33 bays or 33 bases. So there's 33 of these kind of spaces between the pillars. Uh, but this is an amazing temple. There are literally a thousand of these Kanon statues. And you can see them with the thousand arms and with the 11 heads uh, that are characteristic, including a head of Amida. So Kanon is very, very popular, maybe the most popular Bodhisattva in Asia. And this temple, Sanju Sankendo, is a little bit south of Rakuhara Matsuji. Maybe Rakuhara Matsuji is halfway between Keninji, where Dogen practiced, and which is still a, a functioning Rinzai temple, and Sanju Sangendo. Uh, Sanju Sangendo is just has this awesome impact when you go in. And maybe you can't tell it by looking at this picture, but each one of these Kanon statues is really a beautiful image. Each one was made individually. They were not made on a on a conveyor, you know, by modern technology is stamped out. Each one is individual and has a slightly individual expression. Uh, some of the, there's a Nara museum between Kofukuji and, and uh, Todaiji where you can see, and it's one of the places. Actually, there's a museum just across the street from from Sanju Sangento too in Kyoto. And just if you see just one of these images, sometimes they loan out individuals of these. Kanon images, they're beautiful. And all of them were uh, super made by or supervised by Tomke. Tomke supervised them. And you can't really see them here, but there are, in front of these, there are a whole bunch of uh, very peculiar images of different uh, uh, Buddhist images from uh, uh, these descriptions of the assemblies in Buddhist uh, 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 sutras. Some of these are old hermits. Some of these are fierce guardians. Some they're they're all particular, interesting characters. So, if you ever get to Kyoto, Sanju Sangendo is one of the um, uh, popular tourist places that's really worth going to. Uh, next image, David, please. So here you get a sense of the Sanju Sangendo. There are a thousand of these Kanon statues. Uh, you can you, you can't see all of them in this picture, but it's it's immense and it's just mind blowing when you walk in there and see all these Kanon statues. And then the the other figures are just in front of uh, this railing. You can't see them in this image, but these were all supervised by Tonke, and he built some of them himself. Tonke, who was the eldest son of. Um, Okay, he lived from 1173 to 1256, uh, three years after uh, Dogen. So I'm not sure exactly when. Uh, well, Sanju San, okay, Sanju Sangende was built 1251. The statues were made 12, between 1251 and 1254. So I don't know whether Dogen, who died in 1253, would have seen them when he went back to Kyoto to die. But uh, anyway, this is, uh, was an immense place. And on the other side of the Sanju Sangendo, which is this very long, long hall, is a is a, a walkway where they used to have archery um, competitions. 
uh, and archery was one of the samurai uh, practices. So there was a long uh, hole where archers could shoot from one end to, to the target at the other end. Uh, so Tonke, as I said, um, supervised this. Um, there's not so many other statues that survive, but one of them is, uh, if you could go to the next image, David, please. This is at the center of those thousand kanons you saw. So there's 500 on one side and 500 on the other side. And in the middle is this amazing statue of Kanon Bodhisattva. And this was built by Tonke, uh, Munke's eldest son. And you can see this is so, this is the Bodhisattva of compassion. He has typically 11 heads, including Amida on top. There's various stories about that. One of them is that Kanon saved all the beings in the hell realms. And uh, then he looked back and saw, saw the hell realm being filled up again and his head split open with grief. And this happened 11 times. But then the last time he had this uh, Amida head and was able to continue. And you can see on the halo behind, there's, another, there's a Buddha, there's other Buddhas behind the hands. He's said to have a thousand hands and uh, sometimes they're depicted only with 25 hands or 500 hands. I think this one actually has, well, I, don't, I can't tell. Maybe it only has 50 hands. Each of the hands is supposed to have an eye in it. And each of the hands, the hands have various images. Here's a hatchet. Here's a whisk. Uh, here's a lotus. I don't know if you can see the cursor that I'm moving on it. There's a lotus here, uh, and there's the sun and the moon, and bells and a staff, and of course, Kanonas in Gasho, which Hokitsu talked about last Sunday. Uh, so this is this is a, a very large statue. Um, I think it's uh, thirty-five, about thirty-five feet high, um, and uh, it's again sits up on a lotus pedestal in between the five hundred. Kanons on one side and 500 on the other. So this is Tanke, whose images are more peaceful than some of Unke's, but uh, you can feel the vividness of this uh, branch of sculptors. Um, so that's uh, the pictures that, I, that we have for you. Um, but um, uh, just, just to say that you know, there are other pieces that Tonke sculpted. Many of the pieces by uh, Unke's sons and by Unke have not survived, but I've shown you some that did. And um, for practitioners, just to go to Kyoto and Nara to see these images is powerful. Uh, it's um, why I, did, I wrote my book on Faces of Compassion about the different Bodhisattva figures, because I was going around... Uh, for three months when I was 20. And then 20 years later, I lived in Japan for uh, two, two years plus and spent, I was doing other things. I was translating Dogen and teaching English in school, but I also went around to these temples many times uh, to, to look at the, at the temple architecture, which Paul knows a lot about, and also at these amazing images and also the Zen gardens, which were built, the rock gardens were built later. Uh, they were, most of those are from the, 1300s um, and later. So that's later than these images. Um, so this is a little bit of Kamakura Buddhist sculpture. 
Um, uh, David, could you, if you could go back to the very first image of Jizo, just because I like it a lot. Um, and um, yeah, um, maybe we could um, open this up for questions or comments, if anyone has it. Maybe let's go back to the gallery view, David, so I can see whose who's hand, and you can help me see whose hand is up. So any, any questions or comments about these amazing images and about the Japanese Michelangelo Unke, um, I would love to respond or hear your, your comments. Yes, Paul. Um, I think I think it's it's hard to, in the photographs to get the impression of just how powerful these 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 the statuary is. I mean, it's it's you can feel there's something there's something alive. There's a presence. There's a there's an actual aura. They have a they have a presence that that even even it's being a thousand years old, it's still or eight hundred years old, it's still. You can still feel something uh, vivid and 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 I'm alive is maybe not the right word, but but definitely consciousness. It still has consciousness, and it's 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 beyond it's beyond explanation or beyond words. When I first went to Rokuhara Mitsuji to see the statue of, of the Buddhist coming out of out of his mouth, that which is very famous. Showed in all the travel brochures, and it's it's quite you know it's popularized. And I was standing there looking at it, and I felt somebody staring at me from behind. And I turned around, and there was there was the statue that, that we showed earlier of this of the of, this, of the carver himself. And you you can still feel he still had power to to. Actually, I think it was a different a different one that I felt. There was a a a bunk a abbot's death death sculpture, and. You can still feel the energy coming off of it. You know, even like like you can, you can feel somebody staring at you. Maybe we've all had that experience. And you look around, there is somebody staring at you. Well, this I looked around, and there was this eight hundred year old block of wood staring at me. It was um, quite. It's a, a memorable experience. And there's many others throughout Japan from that period, and even earlier. There was one in a temple near where I lived that was a. a and uh, from the eighth century, that was also just just mine. Just still alive, just still had a vibrant consciousness. And but it, but it takes one to carve one, so you have to be, you have to you have to practice, you you have to you have to know what you're carving. You have to be what you're carving. It's it's a it's a, an amazing testimonial to the to the practice of, of, of early Buddhism. <laughs> Thank you very much, Paul. Yes, uh, I, and these—you know—I've—I've I've wanted to talk about Nonke for a long time, but, um, uh, and I, you know, I'm sorry that Jap, that Western Buddhists, American Buddhists, ne- never heard of Nonke because he's so powerful. His his images, and yes, as Paul said, it's not that they're just dead statues. Uh, they they they're very vivid and they have this presence, 
It's very powerful. Uh, and I, you know, I described that with the old woman who bowed to the Kanon statue at Kofukuji. Um, yeah, so they're, they're, very, they're more powerful than the pictures can convey. But this is a part of Buddhist practice, that Buddhism is not just about reading texts and studying sutras and all that, We're studying great teachers like Dogen, um, uh, for, again, for illiterate uh, common people back then, these statues were how they learned about Buddhism. So this isn't about Japan, Japanese, this isn't about Japanese culture particularly. I mean, it is in a way. These were all Japanese uh, Buddhist, Buddha carvers who practiced, as, as Paul said, they, to be able to, to create such images, one has to be to show their calmness or their energy, as in some of the uh, protector figures like the guardians at the gate. One has to have very, be very, very settled and to know, uh, to know from something from inside. Uh, so again, it's the, uh, these images are of figures that, that go back to China and India. And there, there are uh, today in America, American Buddhist artists who um, carve Buddha images or who um, um, paint Buddhist, Buddhist bodhisattvas and Buddhas or other images or paint images of nature that, are, that express something of the Dharma. So, uh, so here we, you know, we talk <laughs> about Buddhism and about the Dharma because that's what we can do. And we sit in front of our, in front of the Zoom screen. Uh, we are still missing being present together in the same room, and that'll happen again eventually. But um, anyway, this is a, 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 about Buddhist art and the power of it. So other comments or questions or responses? I think Asian has something in the, in the chat window. Asian um, said she doesn't have a microphone, but was really struck by the stylistic differences between one case portrayal of bodhisattvas and his portrayal of individual people, especially in the face. So yeah, there's a vividness to the, uh, I mean, this, these are master sculptors. Uh, I mean, Unke is called the Japanese Michelangelo for a reason. Um, I've never been to Italy to see original Michelangelo's. I've only seen pictures of them, but Unke, the, these images by Unke are very powerful and, um, and very expressive. And again, it's not just an image. So again, the pictures don't really capture it in a lot of ways, but um, there, there's a tremendous presence. Other comments, questions, responses, anyone? Uh, David Ray, maybe you can help me. I think Xingyu's hand is up. Who's that? Whose hand? Xingyu. Oh, Xingyu, hi. Xingyu? Thank you for uh, sharing this topic. And uh, I'm quite curious about how how do these sculptors practice during their time? In, do they practice by doing uh, by doing sculptures, or do they also do some form of Buddhist practice? 
I don't know so much, you know, in terms of in terms of the literature about them, but I'm I'm certain that Unke practiced meditation. You, you can see that, um, and and he was he was practicing at this Hoso Yogacara school temple, but he also built uh, statues in many many temples in Kyoto and Nara, and then he went to Kamakura for a little while and built statues there at. Uh, some of the temples that were being built by the by the samurai shogun, so uh, and that influenced him in terms of the vividness of the more uh, you know protector uh, fierce figures. So there's a whole. Uh, I only showed a couple of these, but there are a whole branches, a bunches of Buddhist sculpture in Japan that are, that are wrathful figures. You get a sense of it from the guardian at the gate, but there are many, many, many other. Uh, the, the four protector kings who are stamping on these little <clears throat> and uh, so the, the statuary is very vivid and as Paul said they could not have um, uh, created these statues with their strong presence if they hadn't pra- practiced if they hadn't known from inside and practiced themselves and they were associated with many different temples and not any particular school. So I don't know in detail about it, but it was hereditary. So Unke's father was a master sculptor and then his sons became master sculptors. So they were, they were practicing in some way as well as practicing by creating this Buddhist art. And there are now in, in, in the West artists who are creating all kinds of, you know, Dharma art in various ways. So uh, Paul, um, from from somebody that studied craft in, in Japan and studied the hist- studied the history of these of these of temples and the, and the objects in them, um, a lot of this came from the mainland. A lot of it came from China and and, and Korea. There were they were um, they originated. There somebody would uh, a somebody or a group of people would come from China or Korea, and then they would set up a sort of a ongoing uh, business. I actually worked underneath a, a company. One of the temples I built was a subcontract to a, to a group called the Congo Gumi, who was a Korean construction company that came to Japan in 12-something. And I just heard in the news about three years ago that they, they finally went out of business after after 800 years of being in business. But it's they, these, don't, these things don't occur all of a sudden by themselves. They... That's generation after generation. It takes at least three generations or four generations to reach this peak of of of, of, uh, of ability. So it's it's handed down uh, generation to generation, and they study they study and are immersed in it from childhood on. And it's not something you can do from a standing start. Just 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 sit there and do it. It's it's it takes many it takes many, several lifetimes to be able to, to do this kind of work. Um, and and they say it takes seven generations. Um, that's the the but seven generations by seven generations you've peaked and gone downhill again. So it, it's it's uh, one of those things where you it's cyclical. You 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 have to build up to it, and then you reach the top and become uh, complacent or. or, or or hubris, hubris sets in, and then it, then it starts to decline. So you see how some of these, many of these uh, 
statues have been carved by the, ch- the, the children of or the father of or the, it's, it, it runs in families and in, and in, and in uh, her- heritage from one generation to the next. Thank you, Paul. Yes. Um, so these, these images go back to Korea, to China, some to even to India. Um, so, uh, but then these Japanese sculptors made them vivid in, and uh, gave their, their own Japanese kind of context. And that's how, um, uh, you know, American Buddhist art today or Western Buddhist art um, uh, is, you know, develops based on artists seeing some of these, uh, these images and, and uh, paintings as well as sculpture, sculpture and the architecture. And uh, the, temp- the temple buildings are also amazing and brilliant and were very inspiring to me. Uh, as well as the sculpture. Um, but also, when you go to large temples, still, there are laborers, um, to put it that way, who are associated with the temple and live on the temple grounds and have families that have been living on the temple grounds. So these guilds of sculptors and temple builders were part of that um, worker force um, and uh, so anyway, uh, it will take a while. There, there's some amazing uh, Western Buddhist art already, but it'll take longer for it to really develop. But uh, uh, there's a, a woman in Sacramento who creates images of bodhisattvas, and there's a statue. She has a statue, a porcelain statue of a kanon uh, sitting on a on a uh, lounge chair, you know, in one of the poses, and for example. Uh, so uh, anyway, uh, it's a living living thing. Uh, David, can you, if for people who don't have, um, who I can't see some of you who, I, who, who don't have images, you can go to the uh, participants window and hold your hand up. And now I see there are a number of hands, uh, David and Ron and Dylan. So David first. Um, thank you, Tygen, for that talk. Um, it, it makes me realize that, that seeing Buddhist art has been, um, formative in in my life too. Um, both when I was in in China, at the Lama Beijing, uh, at the, the the Lama Temple in in Beijing, but also also in museums. Um, and and I have a question about the uh, about the images that you showed and about Unke in in particular. Uh, and maybe and maybe this is a totally predictable question, but um, especially the Jizo image um, reminds me of. Um, the of of the art of, of the Buddhist art from India that is said to uh, to manifest some of the influence of Hellenistic Greek sculpture and in the way that that folds of cloth are depicted, for example, in in the Jizo sculpture, and then also also in the face. And so I'm I'm wondering if 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 art historians think that there's a that there's a direct line. I mean, I mean, if 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 traditional sculptures came from India and then to China and then from then from there to to Japan, I, I guess it could make sense that there would be some of that um, some of that flavor preserved. Yeah. Uh, so, in terms of um, Indian Buddhist imagery, um, there there's some Indian Buddhist imagery that's particularly from the Gandhara region. The first Buddhas that originally in in Buddhism they didn't. They didn't have images of the Buddha or statues of the Buddha. They just had the Buddha's footprint. This is in India. But then they started actually influenced by uh, uh, Hellenic influences from Alexander's invasion of India and and 
inter, inter um, mingling from that, um, the some of the early Indian Buddha images definitely are Hellenic, but I I, I wouldn't say that that's um, I th- so those images and other Indian Buddhist images did influence Buddhist images in China and Japan, but they're they're not. Uh, I wouldn't say that they're just that they're directly related to uh, whatever um, Hellenic or Greek image uh, influence there was in in Indian Buddhist uh, statuary. Um, um, just you know, in terms of the robes, the one of the things that happened with uh, Unke and and uh, in the Kamakura period, where the very vivid, you can see the folds of the robes are very vivid. In the earlier Japanese Buddhist um, statues, and you got a sense of that from that Maitreya I showed, which was by a Korean sculptor. So yeah, they were influenced by Korean and Chinese images, um, but then it became something Japanese in the Kamakura period. And um, uh, but the earlier Buddh- Japanese Buddhist statuary <coughs> is much more delicate, less vivid, um, so uh, uh, calmer in some sense, less dramatic maybe. So I, I don't, I wouldn't say that there's a direct influence from Hellenic statuary on J- in Japan. But that said, in the Nara period. Um, which was like in the 700s and maybe the late 600s, there were in Nara people from all over Asia. Uh, there were people. There were even, uh, I think, Nestorian Christians maybe who came to Nara. So Nara was a very cosmopolitan city. Later on in Japan, kind of walled itself off, and there wasn't <clears throat> much interchange with the mainland. And Dogen was one of the first who went to China. So. It's co- it's a complex history. Uh, I have hands up from uh, Ron next, and then Dylan, then Ian. Paul also, I think, had a had a comment. Uh, I saw Paul's. Did you have a comment directly on this, Paul? You're silenced. We have to remember that China went through a great, a great upheaval in the 12th century with the, with the, with the Mongol invasion. And we don't, we, we've lost almost everything from the, from before that period. So there's very little, there's very little um, uh, art and statuary and architecture and anything that's not, anything that can burn is gone, a rot. And, and there's very, very little of it. So we don't realize how much of this came from the mainland, but Japan was this isolated island off the coast that, was not invaded and and kept its kept all of this this treasure from the mainland there in its in its temples and in its, its palaces and and it's a, so it's a wonderful like uh, mirror or, or image a window onto uh, the the pre pre uh, pre Mongol invasion China and 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 Korea so it's a lot of this stuff is is actually very much part of part of the the mainland, but it's not. Uh, there's no rep- there's no remaining uh, examples of it on the mainland because of the of the upheaval and the war and the and the, and the destruction. But um, uh, the, the, just like just like with the automobile or the TV set or whatever, Japan's been a very very good at, at copying and very good at, at making subtle changes and making it making it better, but they, they didn't come up with the idea in the first place. It's, 
That's, that's true with the temples. It's been going on that way for a long time. Thank you, Paul. Uh, I want to call on Ron, who I knew back in New York before I dropped out and went to Japan the first time. Yeah, hey, thank Ron. you, Tygen, for the delightful and informative talk. It almost made me feel like I was back in art humanities class in Hamilton Hall. <laughs> uh, there's questions about uh, how the patronage system for sculptors and painters worked during Unke's time. Were, for instance, temple works financed by civil authorities or by the temples? Uh, did Unke negotiate directly with whoever it was that was letting the contract out, or was the negotiation done by the guild uh, in terms of working artists? Was it kind of a flat hierarchy where all of them were paid relatively the same, or did uh, star sculptors like Unke earn significantly more than the ordinary artists? Well, I don't... First, I should say I don't know completely the answer to that question. There's not very much about NK in English, unfortunately. Um, but uh, what I can say is that um, there were competing guilds in Kyoto and Nara at the beginning of the Kamakura period, uh, and uh, and they were competing for the to rebuild these temples that had been burned in the Civil War and to rebuild the statues for those temples. Uh, so I, I think they were paid by the, by the temples, but the temples were all connected with, you know, this was, this was part of why some of them were burned down. The temples were all connected to, um, uh, you know, the, 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 the families of, um, uh, you know, the, the samurai and the families of the noble people. So, uh, so, so the, some of the noble people and aristocrats and samurais, you know, helped sponsor particular temples. So it was complicated. I don't know, but part of what happened with Unke is uh, the the he went to Kamakura when he was young, and so he had patronage from the shoguns and from the samurai families in in uh, and influence from them from uh, Kamakura, which is a town south of little south of Tokyo, what's now Tokyo. And uh, so that backing uh, had some influence, I'm sure, in terms of him uh, gaining stature in Nara and Kyoto. And at some point, the, the Kyoto, the, the heads of the Kyoto uh, sculptor guilds had died. And so um, 1K and his group and the Nara sculptors uh, had more influence in Kyoto too. So that's how they uh, built things at Rakohara Matsuji and at uh, Sanju Sengandel and many other uh, Kyoto temples. So it's complicated, but they were, but um, I think for some of the regular uh, craftspeople, they probably were associated with particular temples and supported by those temples. But somebody like Unke had a wider stature. And, and so, um, uh, yeah, I mean, the temples where he, where he worked would, 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 would pay him. But I don't, I don't know what the, much about that. I, I think there probably is information in Japanese that I can't access. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for the question. Uh, so uh, other people, um, Dylan, questions, comments, questions, responses. Yeah. Can you hear me? Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, I, I really, really appreciate the 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 uh, you know Buddhist art, visionary art, Buddhist visionary art, and and these statues. Um, I think, especially in at least in my experience in American Zen so far, um, when people are uh, are new to Zen, that there's this uh, the one of the first questions is like, what books should I read? You know, what, what, what is the, like, how, sh- what, what, what are the, the, the top five books that I should go and study <laughs> to start my practice? And I think it would be great if like, you know, what if we, you know, what if when people ask that we just like gave them a picture of Kanan or something or one of these statues and, and, and that was it, you know, just to see what, like, because there's so much of it that you can't, it, it's about the experience of it rather than reading it in the book, you know? Um the other thought I had is that it reminds me of my uh, one of my favorite directors, um, Lucio Fulci, who's a horror director from the 70s and 80s in Italy. And um, in one of his films uh, called The City of the Living Dead, when characters in the movie would have like a direct confrontation with death, like a, a ghost, um, they would just start bleeding from the eyeballs. Mm. Uh, and And that always had like elicited a similar sort of like um, spiritual sort of quality for me. So, yeah, and there are. Uh, uh, I, I haven't kept up with Japanese cinema as, as, as much as I wish I had, but there are, you know, some of the great classic Japanese films that are definitely a Buddhist subject. So that's so there's so that's a modern uh, artistic expression. But having said all that, you know, you're talking about uh, looking at these images as opposed to you know reading books and, and, you know, there are so many books on Buddhism in the West now, and I've added to the, to the plethora, but um, in our temple at uh, Ancient Dragons End Gate on Irving Park, uh, um, there's numbers of you who've joined us since the pandemic started. Actually a year ago this week was the last time we occupied that space, but on, on the altar and around the temple, there were images of the Buddha, of Kanon, of G- there was a big picture of Jizo in the kitchen. There were there were images of <laughs> Kanon in my Doksan room. There were uh, anyway. So Buddhist temples have these images on altars and around temples. There was a Tara a form of Kanon right at, by the door to the Zendo. So um, you know that's a way in which. Uh, these kind of images also can be informative. Um, So uh, Ian and then Jason. Hi, Tegan. Hey. Um, I wanted to ask you about uh, the Bodhisattva images. They're always kind of, um, I guess the word is like, I'm thinking of Jizo who went through hell and Avalokitesvara with the thousand arms. It always seems kind of like, like super heroes or superhuman. And I was wondering what their connection with humanity is and why they want to save all sentient beings. And then in our practice, we're also encouraged to uh, see ourselves as bodhisattvas or embody that ideal. And uh, it, it seems a very uh, lofty goal. So I was wondering how those differences are reconciled. Well, yeah, at the end of uh, all of our events, we do the four bodhisattva vows, and we'll do that today. 
And everybody here in all of these little Zoom squares <laughs> that I can see and not see are uh, bodhisattva practitioners. That's what we're doing here. Zen is part of the Mahayana, great vehicle, bodhisattva path. So we're, you know, in that sense, we are bodhisattva practitioners uh, inspired by the desire to ease suffering in the world and help liberate all beings. That's our job. Um, but these great bodhisattva figures like Jizo or Kanon or Maitreya uh, are, um, you know, very ancient. They go back to India, uh, very ancient images of kind of, uh, what I call archetypal bodhisattvas, great bodhisattva figures, inspirational figures. And they are dedicated to helping um, not just human beings. Some of them are, dedic- you know, help also non-human you know, there are many not there are many non-human or or uh, other kinds of beings that are in the assemblies of the Buddha, and these and there are many, 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 many of them. In my book, Faces of Compassion, I focus on the seven who are the major archetypal bodhisattvas in East Asia, Maitreya and Kanon and Jizo included. Um, but um, can you hear me? Okay. So. Yeah, so um, uh, that's 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 who they are. They're dedicated to universal liberation. That's these great bodhisattvas, and some of them are particularly, you know, Jizo particularly is really down to earth. Jizo is uh, the bodhisattva who helps farmers and and common people. Some of the bodhisattvas, uh, uh, Maitreya is now up in the meditative heavens trying to figure out. Uh, consciousness and how to help beings that way. So, but each of these bodhisattva major figures have a whole, a whole range of practices and folklore and associations with different Buddhist schools. So they're, you know, they're complicated figures, but yeah, they're connected to us. Uh, Jason was next and then Paul. Jason. Thank you very much for the, um, talk and all the pictures. It was uh, lovely to see them this morning. Um, I've been reading your book, Just This Is It, and you talk a little bit about synesthesia and the experience of especially Dongsheng and the the text and the sound and bring up Rimbaud and other individuals. Um, sculpture for me has always been a really acoustic uh, medium so when I see it, I certainly hear song, sounds, and it certainly instills movement. Um, because I haven't seen a lot of those sculptures in person, any of the ones that you sh- have shown, I can't hear them. I'm wondering if you could share the sounds, if you can. Yeah, um, so... Um, that's interesting. Thank you for that question very much. Yeah, these, this is about, so, so the sutras we can, we in the West think, think of as intellectual, you know, uh, texts that we have to understand. And actually that's not how they're understood in Asia for the most part. They're read aloud as we're reading all the flower ornament sutra aloud once a month, uh, first Friday evening of the month that Jason helped inspire. And, um, uh, the so we connect with that which goes beyond the senses through the senses we connect with the ultimate with the universal 
in, in terms of our practice experience through these various vehicles, visual, auditory, fragrance. So there are, Buddha, there are in the sutras, there are Buddhas who teach by fragrance. So uh, incense is a relic of that or an aspect of that, um, as well as sounds. Now, all these bodhisattva figures, this is in my book, Faces of Compassion, uh, uh, Archetypal Bodhisattvas and Their Modern Expression. You can get from Wisdom publications. I have chapters on the different major bodhisattva figures. Each one of them has at least one, if not more, dharanis or mantras that you can say, and those are invoking these bodhisattva figures. So that's an aspect of the sound, and they can be sung too. Um, so, uh, you know, there, I talked, uh, uh, I think, last month about music in Soto Zen, and, and we think of there not being music, but of course, the sounds of the bells and the sounds of our chanting are auditory. Uh, but but one one response to your question is that the bodhisattvas each have a particular dharani uh, or mantra to speak, and that uh, invokes them through sound. Uh, but I appreciate that, and, and uh, Jason is one of uh, our artists here in our sangha, and I don't know if you've done uh, in, intentionally Buddhist-influenced pieces, but I'm sure that your practice influences all of your art. So um, anyway, thank you very much for the question. I uh, did. I have one extra thing. Follow to up. Add. Yeah. I did. I did do. Uh, so art and practice are very much intertwined, but one specific sculpture that was very important is that Kuya sculpture. I did one piece in response or relationship to that. That was the only direct thing, but it was a uh, nice so I thought I'd check that too. Yeah, the, and and that Im, that's that image, that physical image in that sculpture of Amida Buddha, Namida Butsu, Namida Butsu, Namida Butsu. Each one of those is creating this little standing Amida Buddha in that sculpture. It's it's a kind of amazing, <laughs> the very modern, you know, we what we what we might call postmodern or something, way of uh, imaging something that was auditory. Uh, and that Kuya was particular, who founded the Rapuhara Matsuji was particularly connected with. So, you know, there, there are these complex ways in which the senses are uh, called on. So thank you for that. Paul, did you have uh, something else? Well, I just wanted to respond to Ian's question, basically, that, that you know, we, we call ourselves a, a, a Soto Zen school which is a particular way of approaching Buddhism and a particular way of, of understanding the, the, the nature of, of, of the, 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 the Dharmakaya. Uh, but there's many other, many other schools of Buddhism that do various other, have other approaches, and some of them get quite caught up in skillful means and offer people a lot of candy to help them along the, along the road and let them sort of fall into into a Buddhist understanding without without them knowing it anyway uh, a lot the, the as, as Dylan was saying uh, for for us the the, the 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 viewing of these statues is to perceive it directly which is what what we are what our practice is about is, is perceiving is perceiving things directly and um, we don't really we don't really get caught up in in, in 
in Zen in general, there's very little talk about uh, the other, about Ujizo, for example, is, is never mentioned, and 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 even Kuan Yin is hardly hardly mentioned. And it's not it's not part of the, of the Zen approach, but it's part of general Buddhism, it's part of popular Buddhism, and it's part of the overall picture of what Buddhism is. And uh, but our but our particular school of Buddhism is more more interested in, in perceiving things directly without intermediaries in between. So. Um, the two are not exclusive from each other, but they're but they are they are uh, different approaches. Yeah, thank you very much, Paul. But I want to comment on that. So for me personally, uh, I well before I first went to Japan, I guess I read Zen Flesh Zen Bones, and there was there was hardly any there was hardly any real books on Buddhism back then. Uh, Alan Watts and D.T. Suzuki maybe, but anyway, I went there and. Uh, without particularly intending to go around to Buddhist temples, but just was blown away by these statues as well as the temple architecture. But for me, when I, I came four years after I came back from Japan, I met my first teacher who was a Japanese Soto Zen priest and been doing Zazen every day since. Um, but for me, the this background of having seen these Bodhisattva images and all these different Buddhist images, and the and and the wrathful guardian figures very much so, and on these, you know, the 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 background, the culture of Japanese Buddhism, the ground, you know, I, I when I went back and lived there for a couple of years or so, I was living between two temples, places that people had been practicing for a thousand years or more, so there's something in the culture. So our our American Zen is not about Japanese culture, but there's something in this ground of uh, Buddhist images and so forth that is part of the background. So so that's what that's why I wrote that book on the faces of compassion on the Bodhisattva figures because to me that's that was foundational even to Soto Zen. And if you go to Soto Zen temples in Japan. A lot of them have many, many images and very colorful, you know, even images of the arhats around the Buddha Hall. So this is part of Japanese Buddhism. And I think it's uh, something that's helpful for American uh, Zen and other Buddhist practitioners just to be aware of. So a, a few of you have gone to Japan and seen that or gone to other countries in Asia and seen the... Um, the buildings and the statuary there and the, and the paintings and so forth. Uh, it's, uh, you know, so Jason mentioning synesthesia. Zazen is a, is a practice where we sit and feel in various ways. We hear sounds, we see the wall in front of us, we feel the sensations of the, you know, te- pain in our shoulders or knees or whatever. Um, it's all, and it's all connected. And we, we again um, connect with something deeper that goes beyond through all these senses. So, um, anyway, this is this is about the, cult, the the cultural ground, not of Japan, but of Buddhism as a whole. As Paul was saying, this is uh, Japanese sculptures. You know, were based on sculptures in China and Korea and so forth. So. Um, I, I, I kind of wanted people to have a sense of these bodhisattvas. And they're spoken about in, in some in Japanese Soto Zen 
Dogen wrote about Kanon, but they're not, they're not the predominant thing, but they're also in the background. So anyway, that's what I, what I wanted to talk about today. Um, if there's any last comment, we have time maybe for one last comment or response or question, if anybody else has uh, something to ask or say, some response. Okay, well, thank you all. Um, and oh, I'll mention that when the um, when this talk is posted to our website, Angie will be also providing a document which has all the images that were shown on it. So you'll be able to look at them again. Um, and um, yeah, we'll close out with chanting. <laughs>